Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show, High Energy Blue Collar Catholic Radio. This is the Holy Hour of Power. Promise you the show will not be low energy Catholic radio. I'm a Catholic with a PhD in common sense. In this program, we try to engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, facts, and full contact Catholicism. Our program is not right versus left, it is right versus wrong. The month of January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. So remember, find any excuse to say the name of Jesus with faith, hope, and love throughout the day. These are called arrow prayers or ejaculation prayers where you can just throughout the day just say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come to my assistance. Jesus, make haste to help me. Find any excuse to say the name of Jesus and say it from your heart. Also want to talk about a couple of uh, items that are in the news before we go to the gospel of the day. And then we have an interview. Father Robert Nixon is going to be joining me on the next segment. He wrote a book published by Tan. It's called Treatise of Perfection. And what he did, he took this uh, the writings of Cardinal Richelieu, and he's basically breaking them down for us, and he's showing us the way, as Catholics, we need hard truth, and we also need to know what the church has always taught about church and state. This entire separation of church and state, this is relatively new. It's not Catholic. And Father Robert Nixon is going to give us the origins of why the separation of church and state has been such a disaster here in the West, especially in our country, the United States of America. Okay, let's look at a couple things that are happening in the news. Here's the first one. Catholic vote backs Trump for president on Monday. Catholic vote, Brian Birch's organization, officially endorsed former President Donald Trump. They said the following, quote, we need someone who knows the truth and is willing to fight for it, not someone who will calculate the path of least resistance to accomplish some good on the margins, close quote. Also, the Biden camp expresses concern over facing Donald Trump. Just days before the New Hampshire primary, multiple members of President Joe Biden's re-election campaign expressed concerns about the increasingly likely general election rematch with Donald Trump, and they say it doesn't look good. Also, 136 abortion mills have shut down since the fall of Roe versus Wade. That's an, that's an incredible story. Uh, that's a very that's a good news story. Forty nine abortion facilities closed or halted abortion abortions in 2023. Operation Rescue reported on the day of the March for Life, but between 2022 and 2023, a total of 136 abortion clinics have stopped killing. Cities that once had abortion mills in full operation are now abortion free. Good news, thank you, Lord. Also. Polling tells us that Gen Z blames religion, though 59% of Americans identify religion as a potential solution to America's problems. 61% of Gen Z think of religion as a source of the problems. An additional 56% of Gen Z specifically identified people of faith as culpable. Hmm. Shows how, how uh, 
malform the moral conscience is of Gen Z. Mom and dad, parents haven't been doing a good job. And the church hasn't been doing a good job, obviously, if so many of them think that religion is the problem. I'll tell you what the problem is. False religion, like Satanism, like relativism, a false religion, like Marxism. It's a religion. It's a false religion. That's the problem. What, it, what uh, The solution is true religion, the Catholic faith, the church that uh, basically built Western civilization. So I want to, uh, Donald Trump wants to thank Catholic vote for endorsing his candidacy. And he also expresses concerns that the FBI has been targeting Catholic Americans. And he says he's going to put a stop to it. The last bit of news I want to share with you before we go into the gospel, today's holy gospel, is um, I find this interesting. And I'm going to use code word because uh, there's, you know, sometimes you can't use some words on YouTube that are not allowed. So I'm going to use some coded language. This is from the DailyMail.com. Chinese scientists create a mutant C virus strain that attacks the brain and has a 100% kill rate in mice as they admit there's a risk it spills over to humans. So, here's the bullets. Eight rodents infected with the pathogen surprisingly died within eight days. Second bullet critics of the study said this madness must be stopped before it's too late. And uh, world leaders meet to trash out plans to protect against disease X. So, Chinese scientists have been experimenting with a mutant coronavirus strain that is 100% lethal in mice despite concerns such research could spark another pandemic. Scientists in Beijing who are linked to the Chinese military cloned a COVID-like virus found in pangolina, or pangolins, known as GXP2V, and used it to infect, infect mice. The mice have been humanized, meaning that they were engineered to express a protein found in people, with the goal being to assess how the virus might react in humans. So the article comes from the Daily Mail. And again, all of this is is essentially Frankenstein science. Also, I want to give a a little kudos to the Arizona bishops. They put out a video. Um, It's here uh, on my Telegram. And the video is, Bishops of the Arizona Catholic Conference, New Year's Reflection and Challenge. So they just came out with a video where they spoke about a lot of the issues that are that are happening in Arizona, and they uh, denounced they denounced this this uh, move towards trying to enshrine abortion in the Arizona State Constitution. So the Arizona bishops have spoken out against it and have uh, have talked about why it's morally dangerous. That's good. I'm glad they spoke out. We needed to hear from them. Well, let's take a look at today's gospel. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Today's gospel, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 and 35. The mother of Jesus and his brothers arrived at the house. Standing outside, they sent word to Jesus and called him. A crowd seated around him told them, Your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. But he said to them in reply, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those seated in the circle, he said, Here are my my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister 
and mother. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. We have to remember that in the Bible, the word brothers of the Lord is uh, these the tradition of the church is that these are Jesus's cousins. And let me do a deeper dive into this. Why do we believe that there are, they are Jesus's cousins and his and not his uterine brothers? Well, the New Testament often mentions Jesus's brethren in many passages like today's gospel. But the church maintains that Jesus's mother remained a virgin throughout her entire life. And so the so-called brothers of Jesus are thus his relatives, but not children of Mary, properly speaking. There's four observations that support the church's tradition. Number one, these brethren are never called the children of Mary. Number one. Although Jesus himself is called the child of Mary. Number two. There's two names mentioned, James and Joseph, that are sons of a different Mary. And we see this in in Matthew chapter 27, verse 56. They're sons of a different Mary. Number three. It is unlikely that Jesus would entrust his mother to the apostle John at the crucifixion if she had other natural sons to care for her. In John chapter 19, verse 26 to 27. He entrusts his mom to the apostle John. If he had brothers, he would not have done that. He would not he would not have bypassed family relations and entrusted his mother to a non-family member like he did at the foot of the cross. Number 4. The word brethren, there's the Greek word adelphoi, has a broader meaning than blood brother. And since the ancient Hebrews had no word for cousin, it was customary to use the word brethren in the Bible for relationships other than blood brothers. There's many examples of the Bible where I can demonstrate that. For example, you, you have uh, cousins in the Bible are called brothers. You have uh, uh, kinsmen in the Bible are called brothers. You have uncles, nephews in the Bible is called brothers. You have relationships between men bound by the covenant. They're called brothers. You got best friends in the Bible called brothers, David and Jonathan. So continuing this Old Testament tradition, the New Testament often uses brother or brethren in this wider semantic range, this wider sense. And so even St. Paul, he uses the word brother as a synonym for an Israelite kinsman in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. So it also denotes biologically unrelated Christians in the new covenant family of God. They're also called brothers in Romans 8.29 and Romans 12.1. All right. Up next, we got Father Robert Nixon. He's going to be coming up. He wrote a book. It's called Treatise of Perfection. Hey, it's it's all about the interior life. (laughs) There's no better topic than that. We'll be right back with Father Robert Nixon. Stick around. Psalm 24, who is the king of glory? It is the Lord. Yeah, we're waiting for Father Robert Nixon. He's a 10 author. He wrote a book. It's called 
the treaties of perfection. My engineer is trying to get a hold of him. But uh, meanwhile, Father comes on. I want to talk a little bit about the interior life before Father comes on. Okay? As a Catholic, there's nothing more important than getting to heaven. And so, how do we get to heaven? We have to live and die in a state of sanctifying grace. Well, how do we do that? We have to cultivate. We have to cultivate virtue. We have to cultivate our interior life. You know, when you really think about it, based on scripture, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't desire for anybody to go to hell. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, This is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what does God want? All men to be saved. What else does God want? Because people ask themselves, well, what's the will of God? I'm telling you what the will of God is. I'm going right to the Bible. That's the will of God. Word of God. The word of God spoken. This is his will. He wants everybody to be saved. What else is the will of God? First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, the Bible says, for this is the will of God, your holiness that you abstain from immorality. Some translations say your sanctification. So we see what is the will of God. He wants you to get to heaven. He wants you to be saved and he wants you to be sanctified. Or you could flip it around. He wants you to be sanctified and saved. Become holy and get to heaven. That's God's will. It's right in the Bible. Well, so what do we do? We have to cultivate our interior life. We have to cultivate our interiority. When you live in a state of grace... You're even powerful against the diabolic. Let me prove it to you. St. Teresa of the Little Flower, doctor of the church, says, A soul in the state of grace has nothing to fear from demons, demons who are cowards capable of running away from the look of a child. Did you catch that? Doctor of the church says that when you're in a state of grace, demons look at you and run away. I didn't say that. St. Teresa of the Little doctor of the church. I'm a nobody. I just quote the great minds. I quote, I quote the giants. Father Gabriel Amorth says, about living in a state of grace. He says, just as the demon fights against us daily, so we must battle against him. Through the strength of the spirit that was given to us, we are certain of the victory. To live in a state of grace means always to say yes to Christ and no to Satan, according to our baptismal promises. And Father Morth also says, safeguarding and increasing the state of grace is a victory against the ordinary activity of demonic temptation. And at the same time, it is the best prevention against his extraordinary activity against us. Father Chad Ripperger, no, no, no introduction needed. He says the first state of protection against demons is live in a state of grace. Father Antonio Fortea, Spain's exorcist, says the best shield and armor against the attacks of the evil one is prayer, the sacraments, good works, and living a spiritual life. Certainly, the person who prays and lives in God's grace will be protected. So what is the state of grace? Let me give you a definition. The state of grace is a spiritual condition of a person who has sanctifying grace. Those are the grace of the sacraments in his soul 
that person's free from mortal sin, and that person is also he's uh, free from seriously disordered inclinations to sin. Now think about this: any state can be lost. For example, the state of mind can be lost simply by the commission of one mortal sin, or 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 yeah, by the the, the state of mind can be lost, a state of euphoria can be lost. A state of favor with another person. All those things can be lost. Same with a state of grace. It can be lost by the commission of one mortal sin. Now, venial sin doesn't separate you from God. Venial sin denigrates and weakens the state of grace, but does not destroy it in the soul. It cannot be said enough that the state of grace and the attempt to live an authentic life of faith are the greatest protections from evil for everyone, even those not of our faith. Ah, we got Father Robert Dixon on. I see him. Father, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Can you hear me? I can, absolutely. Good day, Jesse. How are you? Great, Father. Well, thank you for being on, and we want to talk about your book. You wrote a book called Treatise of Perfection. It was just published by Tan Books, very well-recognized publisher to all Catholics. And so let's just get right to it, Father. Why did you write this book? How did you get the title, Treatise of Perfection? Where does that come from? Yeah. And then give us kind of an overview so, of the book. Absolutely. So this book is actually a translation of um, of an early work written some centuries ago, um, written by a character known as Cardinal Richelieu. And you've possibly heard of him. He's one of the main characters, yes. which we see in The Three Musketeers. He was a historical person. He was actually... Uh, the Prime Minister of France, among other duties. And he was a great religious leader um, of his time, also a great political, a statesman, a public figure. And he was a very important um, spiritual writer as well. And this book on uh, Christian perfection um, was a bestseller of the time. So... um, I realized it was a great work and people had kind of stopped reading it because he got this unfair reputation for being a villain when uh, in fact it was historically not true at all. Um, so I, I read this book myself and I realized it was so useful because it's it's really targeted at people who are involved in in business or politics or leadership in the world today, therefore facing complex issues, facing sometimes limited time, lots of responsibilities, and how to balance this with our duty to live a life of Christian virtue. And what's more, how to make our vocation in the world, in our profession, in our business, in politics, whatever it is, how to make this a part of our Christian vocation. So I I was sure it was a wonderful book, and I was very keen to translate it, to share it with modern readers, because until now, it's only been in French and Latin, virtually forgotten. So Cardinal Richelieu, he was a devout clergyman, but he was also involved in public service and politics. Is that correct? He was, absolutely. Um, so he was he was asked, you know, they were having a series of meetings. He really stood out for his wisdom at this stage. And he was asked by the king to act as his prime minister, as his guide. And uh, he took on this role. And at this stage, the king was very young. So he virtually ruled the country of France during a difficult period. And this was a period of social and religious upheaval. And he did his best to keep the country and the government 
loyal to the Catholic Church because at this stage um, the Reformation was going on, so there was a bit of schism within the Catholic Church. So this was what century that Cardinal Richelieu lived and died? Uh, he lived in the 1500s and 1600s. Okay, got it. And so, so just what, after what, the Council of Trent. Oh, got it. Okay. So what advice does Cardinal Richelieu offer such people that are involved in uh, and how to balance their family and work responsibilities with prayer and the practice of their faith? What advice does Cardinal Richelieu give us that are involved in... He, he tells us he tells us to understand that the primary thing what God is asking us to do is in our own particular situation and vocation in life. So if you're a mother or a father, he's asking you to be a good mother or father. If you're a police officer or a teacher, he's asking you to be a good police officer or a teacher to understand all of it as God's vocation and to um, to mold one's devotional life accordingly to one's situation in life and this is something which he picked up from saint francis uh de sales whose feast is today um that the mode of devotion the mode of uh practice of the faith and prayer needs to be suited to our state of life and he was particularly wary of or he warns against the danger of people trying to do something which is impossible for them or impractical or unsustainable. He says it's best to be, uh, you know, just a, a, a moderate prayer, uh, a faithful Catholic all throughout your life, rather than going on stages of, you know, radical spirituality and then finding that you don't keep it up or that it's impossible for you or neglecting your other duties, your family, your job or so forth. So he's all about balance, which of course is also very important for, for Benedictines. And he stresses also that, you know, sometimes people wonder, they're practicing Catholics, they feel I'm doing everything the church is asking me to do. Am I doing enough? And he reassures people, he says, if you're doing what the church is asking you to do, going to Mass on Sundays, um, praying regularly, receiving the sacraments, then yes, you're safe, you're doing what, what God, through the church, is asking you to do. I think that's so important. I'm talking here with Father Father Nixon. He wrote a book. It's called Treatise of Perfection, 10 Books. This is a good book for anybody, especially in an election year here in this country, 2024 in the U.S. You want to pick up this book so you can have that balance, that temperance on how to live your Catholic faith, but also be involved in the public square. Pick up the book. Go to 10books.com, 10books.com. The book is called Treatise of Perfection from Father Nixon. Father, so... Uh, what are some of the dangers identified by Cardinal Richelieu, which people encounter in pursuit of the religious life? Um, so he gives a whole list of, of dangers. In the last chapter, he gives 20 spiritual counsels. And he talks about, amongst other things, um, the danger of novelty in spiritual life. And this is where people are always looking for something new. You know, they're looking for new devotions, new practices, new approaches to meditation and everything. Um, new and new, they, new they, unapproved they, apparitions. Yeah. Catholics are chasing look, apparitions that are not approved. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking for the latest thing uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, this is not what the church gives us. The church basically gives us um, 
a more or less unchanging uh, spiritual program. This is what Christ gives us as well. We shouldn't um, be on the lookout for novelties because when that happens, you know, people get led astray. He talks also about uh, the danger of excessive or obsessive moral scruples. And this is when people are uh, constantly questioning themselves, trying to, you know, wondering if they've done something wrong or not. And his approach is very much, if you've done, a, a committed a sin, you're going to know it. Um, so you don't need to be overly uh, thinking Mm. Think questions through all the time. To have, Father, hold that to thought. Hold that thought. We're going to a hard break. We'll be right back with Father Nixon. Don't go anywhere. We're talking about his book, Treatise of Perfection. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, family, it's an election year, 2024. There's a good book that we should all be reading to prepare for the upcoming elections. It's called Treatise of Perfection. The author is Father Nixon, 10 books. You can pick up the book, 10books.com, 10books.com. Treatise of Perfection by Father Nixon. Father Nixon, continue the thought. We were talking about, uh, you know, some of the responsibilities or, or some of the dangers identified by Cardinal Richelieu with people that encounter or they're in pursuit of the, of the religious life, uh, you're talking about about 20 of things that we need to watch out for. Dangers. Yeah. Um, he talks also about how um, the fulfillment of one's duties and responsibilities should be given primacy over any other works of piety or charity. Um, in other words, that one's daily duties, as whatever one is, is actually a form of piety and charity to do these things properly so we should never have a conflict between our family and our religious faith uh, we should ideally never have a conflict between our profession and our religious faith rather we should um, reconcile these see these as part of of the bigger picture so we don't want to keep life and faith as if they're in conflict with other but to, to, to make a unity and this has got to be a balanced unity um, another wonderful point he makes in one of the chapters he says that the way which leads to salvation this is a bit probably a bit controversial is easy and now he elaborates on that he says he doesn't say it's completely easy but what he says is a life of virtue is on the whole going to be a much happier much more peaceful uh life than a life of of vice, of debauchery, of corruption, and so forth. And he speaks from his own experience. And, you know, often we, we think how hard is our Catholic life and everything. Yeah, I mean, every life is kind of hard in its way. It's all got its crosses. But, you know, a life uh, of faith um, is, on the whole, going to be a better life, a more successful life, than a life of, of sin and corruption and, and so forth. And, I mean, we see the consequences of that in uh, in in people we know in in people around us that sin never makes people happy in the long term it might bring them a short-term pleasure or uh, something but but you know generally even that is illusory 
So the, the, the formula of life which Christ has given us, the, the rules laid down by God are actually for our own flourishing as human individuals and as a human civilization. And I think he, he really pushes that message home. I think that's something which, which Catholics um, these days often need to be reminded of, that we have chosen the best path, not only the best path that leads us to eternal glory, but also the best path for making our decisions in this world. Absolutely, Father. I, that's why our Lord always talks about uh, taking that narrow path, uh, you know, the, the kingdom of yes. heaven. And, and, and something... Yeah. It's a, it's a narrow path. A narrow and, path. And, yeah. And few people find path. it. Yeah, it's, it is a good path. It's, it's clear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me also of this author that wrote a book. It's called The, uh, the, the Road Less Traveled. And he says, uh, as I traveled, there was a fork in the road and I took the road less traveled, and that's made all the difference in the world. That's what we're called Indeed. to do. Take the road less traveled. Father, here's a big question. Absolutely. I want you to talk about the doctrine of the separation of church and state. It seems to be a relatively new one. I've actually read that it's, it's, it's kind of a Masonic doctrine. It comes from the Freemasons. That's what I've read. So yeah. for Cardinal yeah. Richelieu, the kingdom of France was, at that time was essentially inherently Catholic, it was essentially part of the church, the daughter of the church. So the question is, is it really possible to separate the values of our society and culture from faith and spirituality? Or, and has the modern world gone too far in trying to do this? Yes, I, I believe we have gone too far in trying to do this. And we need to recognize sometimes people hear separation of church and state and take it for granted as if it's, you know, something that's obvious. But in fact, um, we think about how an individual makes decisions. It's based on their faith and values, what they believe. Now, how a country makes decisions, how a group of people makes decisions is also based on their faith and what they believe. It can't be otherwise. Every decision is based on a belief. Now, I believe that in the Christian West, uh, the United States and my own country, Australia, we should not be ashamed to say this is a Christian country. Mm -hmm. And the, the decisions our government make should reflect Christian values. And, you know, the point of being a Christian is we don't say, oh, yeah, but other people have different values, you know, and they're all equally good or they all equally have the right to these. Well, in fact, our values are intrinsically right. Um, so... You know, it's not like oh, other people have different opinions. Their opinions are just as good. So we should let them do their own thing. You know, and uh, I think this very much the case with issues we're seeing today. You know, um, uh, abortion, for example, it, it objectively is murder. So, you know, as far as we're concerned as Christians, it's not just our opinion, but it, this is a fact. And we live in a, a Christian state which holds life to be sacred, uh, life at all stages. And so it should be defended by law. It's, it's, it's simple. And um, the same thing with, um, with this uh, transgender business and same-sex marriage. Well, we believe it's wrong um, because objectively it is wrong. Uh, I mean, this is not only what our faith teaches us, but um, all civilizations, throughout history biology itself teaches us these principles and we shouldn't be afraid to um to stand up for them 
And uh, yeah. it's the it's the role of the state to to do that, basically to stand up for what's right. And we shouldn't be uh, ashamed of that. I mean, of course, we should allow people freedom because that's another thing. But this freedom is not freedom to do what is evil. This is freedom for people to live their life, to run their business uh, in the way they choose. But, you know, uh, I think things have got severely out of balance because of this doctrine of church and state. And um, within uh, our own, you know, within Australia, we believe our head of state is a monarch by the grace of God. You can't take God out of the picture because when you do, um, the state has no authority. And this was something Cardinal Richelieu believed. In fact, from the earliest stages of the kingdom of France, they'd always had bishops and cardinals acting as advisors, um, not only because these were educated and wise people, but because they could say, this is morally right, this is morally wrong, and make decisions accordingly. And I think we need to, to re-embrace that, to basically to stand up for what is right and to realize that this right and wrong is not just a subjective, not just a, a creation of the times, but is something which is objectively true and therefore unchangeable. We're, we're talking to Father Robert Nixon. He wrote a book. It's called Treatise of Perfection from 10 Books. This is an election year, Catholics. This is the book that we need in our shelf. We need to read it, Treatise of Perfection, because we have to understand the interrelationship between church and state. This is not a Catholic principle. Father Cardinal Richelieu wrote this book. Uh, he wrote it, uh, well, way before the Freemasons, at least 100, 200 years before the Freemasons. But he, was he already talking about the dangers of separation of church and state before the Masons imposed that? Yes, he was, um, because at this stage, uh, within within Europe in general, and within France in particular, there were Protestant uh, heresies starting to emerge. And so in France at this time, you know, there were a lot of, uh, although the Protestants weren't the majority, there were a lot of Calvinists in different places, lots of Lutherans and so forth. And these people were, were arguing for separation of the church and state because they didn't want a Catholic monarch. Basically, they wanted the, the state to be neutral and for, so that they could then go and do their thing. Of course, he didn't believe this. He believed that the state, the country, was uh, a cultural unity and that it was Catholic. It had been established as a Catholic kingdom, um, so it should continue as a Catholic kingdom. And so this was one of the things which he, which he pushed. But having said that, he didn't push it through uh, violent um, uh, scourges and so forth. He was actually very interested in bringing people back to the truth. And another book he wrote was um, A Sure Method of Converting um, Those Separated from the Church Back to It. So he was, um, you know, he's sometimes characterized as a ruthless or uh, somewhat unscrupulous person. Well, uh, no, in fact, he was trying to steer the right path, the path that would ultimately lead to goodness and and uh, and freedom and fidelity. And I think this is something which we need to do uh, so much today. Father, give us in one one minute an overview of the book, his thesis and what he was trying to share with us, Cardinal Richelieu. Give us a quick overview of the book. You got one minute. Go. 
he's telling us that our duty in society is part of our religious vocation, that we need to balance our lives in such a way that we do fulfill primarily our vocation in life as best as we can, do what the Catholic Church asks us to do, and don't be too worried about anything else. We don't need to go over the top with our practice of faith or spirituality. We just need to be 100% faithful and, um, and to honor God through our social responsibilities to fight for what is what we know to be true, what Jesus intended for us as a people. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Father Robert Nixon. I've had him, I have him here on the show. He's talking about his book, Treatise of Perfection. This is an election year 2024. Catholics, I would recommend that you get this book. Go to tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. Father, parting words to the audience. You've got 30 seconds. Go. I encourage you in this election year in the United States to remember that Jesus Christ is our true king and leader and that we need to express those values in the way we act and live. May God bless you through the in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Father Nixon. God bless you. We'll have you on again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father. Keep the thank faith. You. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about same-sex attracted people. They need to hear the hard truth. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Fascinating interview with Father Robert Nixon. Uh, the book that he wrote that's uh, very helpful for us, The Treatise of Perfection from Tan Books. And essentially what he said in a nutshell, what's the goal of the layperson? The goal of the laity is to perform your daily duties according to your state in life. That's what he said. That's the gist of what he just taught us. Perform your daily duties according to your state in life. I want to talk about this Catholic convert that says same-sex attracted people need to hear the hard truth. To diminish God's word is to undermine what God is capable of doing. Recent Catholic convert Nancy Charles posted on X challenging Catholics who propose a more accepting outreach to same-sex attracted individuals. Charles, uh, he's, uh, he meant these, those words in reference to their own life, to her own life, excuse me. But she was also speaking about the fact that many Catholics don't tell the same-sex attracted people the truth about their sexuality. And as Catholics, again, we have to speak the truth in charity. That's what, that's what the uh, author is saying of the article. Charles says, there seems to be this notion among liberal Catholics that in order for the LGBTQ community to feel welcome in the church, that we must cater a new type of message for them. She said this on X. We treat them as fragile and unable to hear the hard truths. Charles, a Catholic re recovered drug addict who lived an LGBTQ lifestyle for 15 years, shared on X that truth is the most loving thing that you can give to someone whether they want to hear it or not. At one point, the only person who would tell her the truth about her life was her brother, Joshua. After years of substance abuse and rounds of rehab, Charles was living in a halfway home and making just enough money to maintain her spot in the home. 
It was a difficult time for her and she even seriously considered suicide. She said, quote, I was extremely sensitive and emotionally damaged beyond what most people in my life have, would have considered repairable. As far as anyone else was concerned, I was a lost cause. Charles said this on X. Charles said, during that period of my life, the only person who told me the truth, albeit it hurt like hell, was my brother. Charles's brother Joshua wrote her a five-page letter telling her a truth that she didn't necessarily want to hear. Nancy, you will never recover so long as you continue to reject your creator. Joshua wrote in the letter, which Charles shared on X. You may say you believe in God or a higher power, but you really don't. If you did, you would earnestly seek after what he requires of you rather than inventing your own version of God to fit your, procl- your own proclivities. You have rejected the Bible. You have rejected Christianity and thus you rejected the truth. No person who rejects the truth can thrive. Joshua affirmed Charles' talents in this letter but told her that, that there would be distance between them if she continued to live in denial of the truth. There will be distance between us, not because I stand in judgment of you, but because we will not even be speaking the same language. And this seeming endless pattern of destructive behavior will continue unchanged, he said. Continuing, quote, I must set healthy boundaries for myself and in the process give others I love the permission to erect healthy boundaries themselves. Until you, my sister, acknowledge your need for God and self-responsibility, There's absolutely nothing I or anyone else can do for you. I will no longer participate in your delusion to the contrary. I love you. I desire your highest good, which is what I have communicated these blunt truths, or which is why I have communicated these blunt truths. Her brother continued. Charles said that the letter marked one of the most painful yet pivotal moments of her life. It took me six years after that letter to finally make it, make it into the church and surrender my life to God. But his patience and his sincere love for me planted a powerful seed in my heart that day, she said. According to Charles, the same hard truth about her lifestyle that was lovingly presented to her by her brother needs to be presented to other same-sex attracted Catholics. She said that this approach is generally discouraged by some Catholics in favor of a more watered-down message of truth, which creates issues. The problem I take with that is that words matter, she said. The precision of language, precision of language is important beyond comprehension. It's the difference between the clarity of truth or the fog of ambiguity. She continued, God forbid we tell them right off the bat that they're called to live a life of chastity they may run for the hills and won't ever, ever feel welcome in the church. I say, let them run. Not because I don't desire their coming to Christ, but because the church's job is to be the arbiter of truth. What good is their presence in the church if, they're mis- if, if we've misguided their soul? Our job is to li- deliver the truth to people, not to change language in order to trick them into coming into the church. Great comments from this uh, this writer. My comment is, if the truth offends you, then maybe, just maybe, you needed to be offended. Let me share with you of a story of a Catholic priest that died in my arms. The priest who baptized my firstborn son, he was the associate pastor at my parish, Santa Rosa Catholic Church in San Fernando, when I lived in California. 
His name was Father John. I won't mention his last name. He and I, we hit it off. We formed a close friendship. I saw him often since he, since he involved me in many parish ministries and would come over to my house to visit once or twice a month. And we would just talk about religion, politics, how to change the world. My wife told me a few times, wow, father really likes and respects you, but I'm just a, I'm just a wallflower to him. He walks right past me as if I don't even exist. I heard my wife's concern, but I never, I never thought much about it other than acknowledging that she felt slighted by my father. Well, Father John and I would visit and talk for hours about God, theology, scripture, religion, and history. And one day he said to me very sadly, he looked at me, he said, Jesse, I wish I had faith like you have, close quote. My wife overheard this and she was very disturbed that a Catholic priest would say to a nobody like me, <laughs> uh, you know, once again, I, I didn't think much of her concern. A few days went by and, and Father wasn't celebrating the 8 a.m. Mass like he normally did. And I asked the, the pastor, Father David, I won't mention his last name. Hey, where's Father John? I haven't seen him in three weeks. Well, Father David, I won't mention his last name, said, pray for him. He's been diagnosed with cancer. I'm going to announce this at every Mass. Well, Father David announced after every Mass that Father John was ill with cancer and he moved to Texas and he's with his parents in home hospice. Well, Every week I ran to the rec- rectory and asked Maria, the parish secretary, if there was a phone number I could, I could have to call Father John, my friend. I told her we're good friends and he would love to hear from me. Maria told me every week, I can't give you his contact information. He's very sick and he wants his privacy. I suspected there was something fishy in Denmark, but I just kept Father John in my thoughts and occasionally prayed for him. Well, one day Maria called me when I was home and said, Father John would like to see you. He's here at the parish rectory. I told Maria... I would go there as soon as I can. I had to work at 4 p.m. at the county jail. It was about 12 noon. I figured that I can go and visit him for a couple of hours and then drive to work right after. I got to the rectory and I bolted through the door. Maria greeted me and said, come, he's waiting for you. And she pointed to a room down the hall. I opened the door and saw my dear friend, Father John, laying on a bed. He looked like a skeleton, skin and bones. He was tall, six foot four, which made him look even thinner. I ran towards him, bent and embraced him, chest to chest in fraternal Christian love. We both were both teary-eyed. I told him that I missed him so much and I asked him, why didn't he call me? He told me he was embarrassed and I said, why wouldn't, why would you be embarrassed? Then suddenly a light bulb went off in my head and I said, father, you don't have cancer, do you? You have AIDS. He said, yes, I have AIDS. I was broken hearted to hear this, but I still reserved judgment until he went into a tirade speaking against Holy Mother Church. Father John said very angrily, the church is wrong about homosexuality. The church has to change her teachings. The church has to catch up with the times. I disagree with the church's teachings. I was appalled to hear a Catholic priest speak heresies boldly as he did, especially as he lay there sick and dying of AIDS. His present physical condition was proof positive that he was wrong about the consequences of homosexual sex. I lost my cool for a second and I yelled at him saying, Father, you're wrong. The church is right. You better repent. You're dying and I refuse to let a friend of mine go to hell. You got to repent and confess your sins right now before it's too late. I'm not going to let you go to hell. We were both screaming at each other face to face like two boxers at a press conference before a fight. And guess what? Father said, Okay, okay, you're right. The reason I called you, Jesse, is because I knew you're the only person in the parish who would tell me the truth and set me straight. I embraced him affectionately 
and he returned the same brotherly affection. He said, okay, go call Father David. I'm ready. I ran down the hall, called Father David. I said, Father John wants to go to confession. Father David said, what? What'd you do to him? He ran across the hall, put a, put a stole on, ran into the room. I was pacing outside the room with my rosary, praying. I, I finished the entire rosary. I'm pacing up and down, praying the rosary, asking him for the grace of conversion, asking Our Lady. Father David walked out. He looked at me. He smiled, gave me a thumbs up, and he said, it's taken care of. It's done. He said he wants to see you. I walked back into the room, saw Father John. He was happy. I said, Father, I'm proud of you. It takes a real man to confess their sins. And he says, I, I told him, I know you're going to die. I said, when you see Jesus and Mary, kiss them for me. I went to work thinking about that episode and my head was still spinning. The next morning, the parish secretary, Maria, called me and told me that Father John just passed away, died a few hours earlier. And it was bittersweet, but I thought of Father John was another Saint Dismas. He stole salvation at the very end. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, Though your sins are scarlet red, Father John, they shall be as white as snow. Close quote. Father John lost his way as a Catholic priest. He, became, he, he embraced a homosexual lifestyle. He embraced the culture of death. And he paid the physical consequences of his sin. And he cut his life short in his late 30s. But guess what? The truth set him free from eternal damnation. Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing grace and the divine mercy in the sacrament of confession. And thank you, Mother Mary, for giving this priest the grace of conversion at the last minute. And I tell you this. I hope you stand with Holy Mother Church. And know that Jesus Christ, whatever you've done, there's no sin under the sun that Jesus Christ cannot forgive with his divine mercy in the sacrament of confession. That's a wrap, church. That's a wrap, family. God bless you. Keep the faith. Thank you for tuning in to the Terry and Jesse Show. Mr. Engineer, what's up next? What do we got next? Up next? I don't know what's up next, but it's, all, it's always good VMPR stuff. Remember us Catholics? Nothing up next. Hey, remember, we're like a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm. Pray America great again. We'll see you tomorrow. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. The Holy Rosary's up next. Stick around. The Holy Rosary. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Speak the truth without fear and live without fear. We've got Jesus.